Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Brody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess... Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time about. for Mortgage Matters. All right, welcome. This is the first show of August. It's another live edition of Mortgage Matters. Glad you are with us. Glad, or thanks to those of you who are sticking around from Motor Mouths. Hope you enjoyed the, the early show. And uh, if you're in for a, a radio marathon today, you can listen to the Best of Dave after Mortgage best Matters Dave, is over. Yeah, so, you know, live, well, not all live, but local programming. All, all Saturday mornings, so there we are. Love that. No infomercials. You can just None. get the local news. Oh, you know, you you know that you really want us to get the colon cleanse back. You know, <laughs> one you of know my all time favorites. Yeah, we used to make fun of that every time. Didn't yeah, we? I like to reminisce about all the shows that used to be on around us. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. now we've here. settled into a good groove here. Yeah, I think it's good. Motor mouths, mortgage matters, best of Dave. It's a nice little Saturday, especially on a on a gray Saturday like today. And we got to give a shout out to Steve in Pismo Beach, who I met there yesterday, and yeah. said. Big fan of the show. Big fan. Yeah, that's great. Didn't know he had big fans, but hey, <laughs> there you go. At least have Steve. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason's out today and uh, brought in brought in some help. When uh, when the going gets tough, we bring in the big guns. We got Will Barnaby in here today. Good morning. How are you? I'm pretty good. Right How's on. that weather over the hill? Is it like this? You know, it was uh, not quite like this, but uh, you know, it wasn't hot yet, so yeah. it's all—it's coming. It's all okay. It's coming. I got a date at the uh, at a pool up there later today. Oh yeah, I'm trying to teach the kids how to swim. Well, you know, getting in the water when it's a hundred and something is not a bad idea. Oh, it's easy. Tell you what, man, it's been humid too, which is a bit abnormal. Yeah, it has been very weird. We have uh, our softball night is Wednesday night, and. It was hot. We had a late game, nine o'clock game, uh, Wednesday night in yeah. San Luis Obispo, and it was muggy. The bugs were out. It was gross. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, it cools down at night up there, but last few nights, whew, not so much. Uncomfortable, huh? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. The <laughs> air conditioning worked pretty well, That's so nice. you know, just a little less time outside. See, it's nice. You guys are equipped for the hot. If uh, if you have one of those muggy nights here in Slow or in, on the coast or something, we don't have air conditioning. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's been around a while. It's tested. I, I don't think the technology is going anywhere. Maybe it's <laughs> to just buy one of those things. Yeah, it seems weird to buy one for that one week a year. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You don't need it very often. Um, well, we we are glad that you've joined us. We've got a great uh, great show lined up. No guests today, just Will and I. We're going to... We're going to power through a couple hours with you. We've got a pretty heavy news week this past week, and uh, we'll dive into some mortgage matters talk. Well, there you go. Yeah, just get into the get into what we do every day. I mean, it's hard to hard to shut it down after five straight days of talking the talk. So, well, there we'll you just are. Keep it going this morning. 
Um, so yeah, it was a it was a big uh, big news week. First week of the month is always the employment data that that a lot of the economic world kind of hangs on. Want to see what the employment situation's looking like? Um, lately, it's been pretty good. I th- I think for the first half of the year, if I remember correctly. We've been averaging about 180,000 jobs added per month, which is a pretty decent level. Um, this month was no disappointment. Um, in fact, my notes are hiding here. This month, we um, started off, July was uh, adding 209,000 jobs, well above economist predictions. So nice, strong, uh, strong start, start to the second half of the year. The unemployment rate actually moved um, lower. It's now down to 4.3%. So nice low um, unemployment number. And um, just all in all, things looking pretty good. I was trying to find that um, hourly earnings. Because this, I think, is is really lately been more important than the actual unemployment rate. The unemployment rate seems to fluctuate. In fact, it seems to go counterintuitive to what you would think. You see a strong jobs number and then the unemployment rate actually goes up and it has to do with labor participation. But um, where we are where I, with the jobs added per month, the unemployment rate being below four and a half percent and the fluctuation of the participation rate tells me that we're, we've got to be pretty darn close to f- full employment. What, what most economists would suggest is full employment. Um, there's always some unemployment going on, people changing jobs or just temporary, temporarily out of job or just some people that aren't employable. I mean, it's just the reality. So there's always some level of unemployment, but it feels like we're getting close to full employment to a full employment situation. And now it's really about the earnings. And yeah. You know, you can fully employ people, but if the jobs aren't quite the income that they need to produce. Yeah. I think a good sign, and they talk about it occasionally on uh, CNBC or some of the financial channels, is when people leave voluntarily to upgrade their position is usually a pretty good sign. Um, did you see, was it Amazon? It was trying to hire 50,000 people. They had a job drive. Did you see that? I did not. Yeah, they had a giant job drive. I think this it was the biggest ever. Where was this? Um, you know, I'm not real sure. I don't remember. I only kind of caught that out of the corner of my eye or ear when I was working the other day. But uh, I don't think that they actually accomplished the goal. They didn't have that many people show up. But they did mm. do a giant job drive, you know, which is... And they were going back and forth between whether the jobs that were being kind of antiquated, I guess, by Amazon. A lot of retail jobs is a big concern. And, uh, you know, retail is a big a big section of the economy. But they were talking about the while those people were leaving retail and those jobs are going away that that they were actually adding other types of jobs, physically more challenging, but definitely higher pay. It was back and forth between which talking head said they were equivalent number versus the other one that would say that they were nowhere near the equivalent number. I tend to think it's probably not the same amount of people that you need to run a retail store. The ship, yeah. Things, but I mean, I don't really know. It's it, just a point of conversation. It's interesting. I've heard this this discussion before as well, and it's it's kind of this shift that we're seeing because certain certain jobs in retail or with the Amazon model, they're they're automated. You know, you don't with Amazon, you are your own checker, if you will, right? Yeah, yeah you're the one clicking on the computer. You're the one 
um, scanning the items across the belt. So that job isn't necessary in the Amazon model, but there's other jobs that are. There's the warehouse guy that's got to that's got to stock the shelves and then got to pick ship the yeah, ship the product. Pick the item off the shelves, put it in the box, get it out. Even some of those are being automated, but then there's all the equipment, all the machinery, all the computer equipment that needs to be maintained um, and worked on periodically. And that takes, I mean, a ton. right now, I believe it's still a human that's doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, at some point that could change too, I guess. But yeah, there's, it's a shift in, in labor and what labor is used for now. And, and so that's. That's interesting that Amazon's not able to uh, draw the people out. I guess either they're not paying enough, or um, well, they drew out quite a few. I just think they had a very, a very uh, high goal for a specific area. But you know, a lot of people came out. But you know, it was a like I said, I didn't really catch the whole thing. But it was a fairly interesting conversation because they were going back and forth. Well, you know, people that are working retail or those people that can actually you is know, that a head of household job? Eh, I would think not, but I don't know. I don't know, but I will tell you when I was in college, right, I uh, had the pleasure, I guess, of working uh, a Christmas break for UPS, loading trucks. It's no joke. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) there's boxes coming down a conveyor belt at you, and you're trying to stack together the puzzle, you know, and uh, it, it was work. I mean, it definitely paid at the time quite a bit more than your average college kid job, which is why I did it, but... uh, you didn't have to work out for those few weeks. <laughs> you got your workout by going to work, right? <laughs> not, not that I was big on that anyway, <laughs> but just saying, you know, you definitely got your workout when you were at work. And when you left there, you were beat. Oh, yeah. You know, and it was the middle of the night. That was, you know, it was the a hours killer. hours are tough. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got to assume that it's somewhat similar in a, in the similar situation other than, you know, they actually have to have somebody that goes picks the, the product off the shelf and then moves them around. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to be an interesting time, you know, because like you said, automation is definitely replacing a lot of people. There's definitely a decreasing need in labor in almost every industry. Sure. And last I checked, the population is still rising. It's still growing. seems a bit uh, an, as an unsustainable thing if you look out far enough. Yep. How far? I don't know. <laughs> um, you referenced, you know, the underemployed a little bit ago, which is... Um, a good distinction to make that headline unemployment number is the U3 unemployment. There's the Bureau of Labor Statistics actually publishes six different unemployment rates. Um, and the one that gets all the headlines is the U3 unemployment. It's kind of a middle of the road employment figure. This, uh, the U3 employment is described as total unemployed as a percent of the civilian labor force. It's the official unemployment rate. Um, you were talking a little bit about people maybe working below their skill level, below their desired level of pay, those kinds of things. You're getting into what's um, commonly referred to as the underemployed rate or the U6 unemployment. This is the total number of unemployed people um, plus all persons marginally attached to the labor force plus total employed part-time for economic reasons as a percent of the civilian labor force. So... Basically, this is everybody who would like a better job, who would like a job or like a better job. Yeah. You know, and and honestly, I mean, not to get you off track, but that's somewhat interesting to me as well, because the other thing that you frequently hear is that uh, there are companies out there particularly, particularly, it's early, you know, so (laughs) 
English hasn't quite set in yet um, in the tech area that there's companies out there that just can't find people with the talent to fill jobs, which is a little bit odd because on one hand, you've got this massive amount of people that are being displaced or whatever you want to say because of, you know, developments in technology and other things. And sure. They can't find jobs of, of equivalent pay, but then on the other hand, there's all these jobs out there that we have to bring people in for. Actually, the Motor Mouse kind of talked about this a little bit, too. There's there's a lot of people that are um, being trained through colleges and stuff like that, but there's a lot of me- – but there's a real need for mechanics. Lacking. There's a real need for people that are the applied um, arts. Yeah. And, yeah. And there's not a whole lot of – and those are pretty skilled jobs. Sometimes. They are. It's that it's that blue collar labor that you know isn't as as kids are brought. I know if with my generation, as we were brought up through school, it was all about going to college and you know being the doctor, the lawyer, mm-hmm. the the whatever the the white collar professions, and not a lot of emphasis or discussion about the blue collar professions. And I think mm-hmm. as a result of that upbringing, we're now seeing that. Mm-hmm. There's been a lack of interest, and now, as a result of lack of interest, a lack of employable people in those fields. And I hear it from from my wife as well. She works at a manufacturing company. They need... Um, They need people to come in who are skilled welders and, you know, have have these these skills that a lot of kids were brought up and and weren't interested in or don't have. And and so they actually find that it's very difficult to fill those positions. Mm -hmm. Um, And even at what's... Sounds to me like pretty good pay. They're having trouble finding any applicants for these positions. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm not sure if the the, the tech school trained people, like the high skilled labor people or the people that they're talking about when they're talking about the tech jobs. Maybe they're talking about programmers and things along those lines. But I will say the tech skill stuff, we just do that differently than other places that I live in other places like in England, at least back when I lived there. Right. um, You're 16 you're either going off to a tech school or you're, you know, on track to go to a, to a university. And, you know, you're making those decisions relatively early on and they're getting training in those fields kind of early on. And I feel that that's changing a bit, at least up in Paso. And obviously perspective is, you know, what's around you and not not the entire country. But up there, I, I know a number of kids that are actually really interested in in welding and different fabrication mm-hmm. type of jobs that are actually getting training through the school now. And, uh, and they're excited about doing it because honestly they like doing it. I'll be waking up on a daily basis to go to work, doing something that you want to do is right. a whole lot easier than waking up and doing something that you don't. That's for sure. Yeah. So, you know, that there seems to be, I don't know, to me a shift, but it's definitely a difference. I, I understand what you're saying. When I was a kid, it was like, your like choices were you were either going to college or, yeah, going to work at McDonald's, right? And I mean, exactly. And I, I think there is a renewed emphasis on on some of these other skills that were kind of ignored for a while. And you know, when I talk about me being a kid, that was thirty long years ago. So yeah. it's, uh, I, I would say, in the last five or ten years, that yeah, I, I feel like I've been hearing more talk about these um, these jobs that I, I would consider more blue collar in nature and things that just. I felt like weren't given a lot of emphasis when I was a kid. And now I feel like there's a renewed effort and a renewed interest in that, which I think is great because those are a lot of those jobs. I feel like it's difficult to automate them. It's difficult to take them away. Um, 
they're it's not something you can outsource to another country because when the geographics are important yeah when you yeah. need a welder here to work on something here you, they, they need to be here they can't be in another country and yeah you're not telecommute sh- <laughs> to work to weld the pipe that's here yeah <laughs> no know, that just doesn't work that doesn't fly but yeah and you know and you can even watch tv and you'll see it i mean there's blue collar millionaires there's yeah. uh what was the guy with the dirty jobs that i love that show oh yeah i oh uh, mike um yeah, that's a good Mike, show. Mike, I can't think of his last name. I know who you're talking I'll about. Have to, I'll have to look Yeah, and, he, and he's he sometimes will come out with, like, I don't want to say political statements, but yeah. statements about certain things. And he's an interesting guy. He's He's got a, an interesting point of view on most things. I really kind of like reading his stuff. Yeah. But I do think, like, you know, like I said, on the television, some of those things are starting to be shown as uh, as good paths. So. You know, there's a lot of that going on. Um, but the other part, I think, too, is they're talking about people that come in for, like, to work at Google or work at some of the uh, the more tech-heavy companies, and they lack those skills as well. Mike, Mike Rowe. Rowe yeah. Mike Rowe. There you go. Yeah. And he actually does commercials to make fun of that, too, sometimes. Like different, <laughs> you know, and that may, maybe he's got a commercial for Bounty or something, like cleaning himself up. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but yeah. Talk about a guy that's found a niche there, huh? Yeah, really. Yeah. Mike Rowe. Well, and he's an interesting character, too. He's just got a, an interesting perspective often. Well, and so one thing that I wanted to to just kind of tie this up a little bit with was the uh, that U6 number that you referenced, the underemployed rate here. Um, that's actually been falling right alongside the headline unemployment rate, and that U6 number is down to 8.6%, which is pretty darn good when I think back to the height of the the recession um that number was darn close to 20 percent. seriously yeah oh yeah um when unemployment was over 10 that u6 number was right in the 18 19 20 range um i mean that was one fifth of americans were either out of work or working below their skill level or their um you know their pay desires that kind of thing which makes sense i mean that seems reasonable it was impossible to go anywhere in 2008 or 9 and not not meet someone down on their luck. Yeah. That's down and out and, and wishing the situation was better, um, particularly with the job situation. So I think the opposite was true. I think back then it was kind of hard to find somebody that didn't have some sort of complaint, (laughs) right. You know, about something. So, um, all in all, I think this, uh, this latest jobs report, which was reporting for July was pretty good. Um, you know, I, we talked about earnings, earnings were up 0.3%. Um, hourly earnings, and that's that's pretty good. That put the year-over-year rate at about 2.5%. That could be better, but it's not terrible. I guess it's right in line with uh, with GDP growth. So as long as that's, that's matching GDP, I don't think it's terrible. But we'd like to see wages rising more, put some more... Yeah, More wage money in pockets. I mean, that's what we need. Wage inflation's been a difficult topic. I mean, even you know, it, it plays into the income discrepancy. This what's the word that they use? Yeah, the income gap that's been growing. But uh, yeah, wage inflation's definitely not uh, not kept pace. But there's been some theories about this about the wage component here, and that, and also, I think it plays into the unemployment rate a little bit. Or I should say the labor participation, because there's a lot of focus on this labor participation that the and it was used as political rhetoric too a lot late last year during the election was that people are losing confidence in the economy and dropping out of the labor force. And 
I don't know that that was necessarily accurate. There's a lot of age aging workers. You know, there's this huge population of baby boomers that are reaching or at retirement age. And so a lot of them were the ones that are leaving the labor force and not necessarily due to a perception about the economy, but more just because they've reached that natural age at which you retire. Um, that also plays into this wage issue that you've got these folks who are, you know, at year 40 of their career, po- arguably at the peak of their earnings, um, you know, you tend to make more at the end of your career than the beginning of your career. And so then you've got those jobs being replaced by the the new worker, the younger worker willing to take a, a lesser wage. So you might get one worker replacing another worker, but they're doing it at a much lower wage level. Um, so that can play into this wage drag, if you will, that absolutely. That I mean, absolutely. It could. They're not somebody that's in their 10th year of a very high paid position is probably going to be making more than somebody coming in in their first. Sure. You know, and the, and the boomers were, I mean, that's a giant pop. I mean, a giant uh, generation that's leaving. So they're undoubtedly going to have an effect. My question would be, you know, are they leaving because they can, you know, if they're retiring because, hey, I've got the ability to do so at this point. I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's right. obviously going to have an effect merely because of the numbers. Yeah. You know, the size of that particular generation. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, undoubtedly, we're going to the next few years, I think, are going to be very interesting as technology continues to. It seems the speed at which it's improving is compounding at this point. And, uh, you know, we'll see what the, the work what the work environment looks like here in the next few years. I think it's going to be uh, a bit interesting to see how it how it plays through. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's a fun story to watch. Um, but, you know, just in summary here, July's looked pretty good employment wise. Didn't see a big move in interest rates as a result. Seemed to be kind of a non topic yesterday, really, on the news. Yeah, it's been somewhat interesting. The economic data, like you're talking about, has been pretty good. I mean, even the earnings reports have been, you know, I mean, not all of them have been great, but definitely good. Um, And there's something else out there that's uh, managing to tamper, you know, the enthusiasm. You know, when you have the stock market going on a tear, um, reaching an all-time high, and then every day adding, and then interest rates, which are security-based, continuing to have yields remain low or even drop at times, that means you have a certain percentage of the population that uh, just disagrees. Some people think that things are off to the races and other people think that maybe they're not necessarily off to the races and they need to put money in places that uh, that protects their money instead of trying to make money with their money. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic because you obviously have some sort of disagreement or people that don't feel strongly one way or the other. But, you know, there's... I don't know if it's the political environment or other things that are going on, but the economic data alone would make you think that we were going to be on a tear and that, you know, equities or stocks would continue to rise, which they have been doing. But you would also think that some funds would be coming out of securities and going into those markets. And I don't know if that's happening and it's just there's more money coming in than it's going out or if there really isn't a, a people leaving that and there continues to be people added into the securities market at the same time that people were investing in equities. So you've been doing this a long time. It's not something that happens commonly. It does happen. Sure. You know, so you've got a bit of a conflicting information coming from the bond market versus the stock market. 
And, you know, all of those things obviously affect mortgages. It, it affects everything. You know, it affects people's retirement funds. It affects, you know, just day-to-day life. So it it's an interesting time. It's an interesting time. The economic data undoubtedly would make you think that things were going to be going on a little bit more of a one direction. Yeah, I, uh, that's what I've been preparing for and expecting. But we continue to come on this show and talk about how low rates are and how the... You know, Don't take any of that as a complaint. I'm pretty happy <laughs> right, about like the situation, it. but yeah, you know, and it, you know, for selfish reasons, it's it's definitely been good. Um, it is 9:30. We're going to take our first break of the show here. I want to remind you that you can call in and ask a question or share a comment. Uh, the number to the studio is 543-8830. 543-8830. We'll be right back. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KBEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 018-396-08. California DBO number 605-4783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. <laughs> talking about jobs yeah that's right yeah, yeah i just thinking of a a new chorus this every some of us are working on the weekend <laughs> 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 i noticed i startled you though with the first beat there yeah like, that was 
Yeah, like a healthy yeah. volume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting kind of music for a mortgage show, huh? Now we get compliments on the music. So Oh, oh yeah. no, I it's, like it. I like it. It makes the show. Yeah, I definitely. like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think Man, that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah. <laughs> Rock star. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you were over there doing the air guitar, so I know you were. Yeah, yeah. If I had musical talent, we could have pursued that. But since I don't, <laughs> yeah, here I am. You know, I think they have some air guitar championships or something. <laughs> yeah. You, can, yeah. Yeah. you can still live the dream. <laughs> I'm not over there doing With the air hard guitar. work and dedication. I'm pretty sure can, that's not, not where I want to go. You got the imaginary amp behind him. Yeah, he's yeah. ready. He's got the. Yeah. I tell you what, we have a party. Well, it's it's actually my wife's birthday party, and it's a uh, an annual thing now where we do a big lip sync battle. Oh yeah. You know, and uh, people in their 40s and 50s apparently are perfectly willing to uh, dress up and act crazy yeah. for any kind of era rock song. It's, uh, it'd be surprising. You should see this. I don't know why, but I just got this weird image of my head of you air guitaring with mini kiss at the fair or something. Oh, like yeah. That. I, yeah. Could, I could see that yeah. happening. That'd be awesome. I was salt from salt and pepper this year, so. <laughs> uh, don't force me to find another oh, yeah, salt don't, and pepper. Don't, don't Google it, please. <laughs> yeah. But that TV commercial they have Too is funny. funny, actually. It is. Yeah, but you, you know, you see, you see people that are usually, you know, pretty buttoned up on a daily. Yeah, they'll go all out. You put a little costume on. <laughs> Man, I don't know if it's the age or the time or what, but uh, it brings them back to their youth. Hey, you only live once. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I need a little working on the weekend behind me when I'm sitting at my desk. <laughs> Funny. Um, all right. Well, we were going to continue on a little bit with some of the the data from the week that, that would affect real estate and mortgage and interest rates. So um, something that, that uh, was another little bit of positive news here was some pending home sales numbers. And these are always um, interesting for us because it's a sign of, of future sales um, it's a sign of, of activity. Pending sales are homes that are in contract but not yet closed. And so we like to see that. It's, it was eerily slow, I would describe, the, the springtime when normally you start to see home buying season ramp up. Um, usually the first couple months of the year, January, February, activity is slow and it's expected. But by March, we start to see applications pick up. Um, just the activity in general, you start to see pick up, but we didn't see that happen the same way. It seemed like the entire spring was really slow. Um, and we kept hearing in the industry and through headlines that it had to do with inventory. Yep. Um, just lack of inventory was leading to slow sluggish sales, um, for that first part of the year. And now, um, we saw for, what is this? Uh, this looks like June. We saw, um, a strong gain in pending home sales, a one and a half percent uptick in pending sales. Um, so that's it, it's good to see that number picking up, um, and hopefully that that's the sign of a strong second half of the sales year. Usually we get closer to fall, closer to the holidays, Halloween, Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas, and New Year, and that's when things kind of slow down. Things really shut down. Yeah. Yeah. You know. It, I don't know. I, I've been tracking, you know, production on a monthly basis for for a while, and um, I don't know, but I'm curious to see if the way people buy things are just changing. I mean, I know that they are in a lot of different areas, but 
Well, and I think a lot of people, particularly younger people, younger than me anyway, that are beginning to be part of the uh, the housing market, I think that they might shop differently. A lot of times they do a lot more research online and things along these lines. I don't know that the the normal season is necessarily going to continue to be the normal season. Mm. I don't know that it isn't, but I'm somewhat curious to see because what I've noticed, particularly over the last two or three years, is I've had large months at times where you didn't think you would. Um last December was an example. Like December's generally nothing going on. And it was it was a relatively large month, at least for me personally. So I mean, I don't know. We'll see that's, what happens. That's an interesting thought. I, I hadn't thought about it that way with the I know that a lot of people, most people, not even not even just in a certain age range, but most people now are looking online. They're looking at the the different, you know, whether it's Zillow or a or a particular agent that they have a relationship with. Um, their IDIX interface on their website, because most agents have a a direct interface into the MLS anymore. Um, most people are doing their shopping, if you will, online. They're getting familiar with the market they want to move in. They're getting familiar with the inventory by looking online. Maybe maybe the um the cycle is different. No longer are we seeing people coming and and engaging the real estate professional, you know, a year before they're ready to buy to get familiar with the process and get pre-approved and start to get familiar with the market. Now yeah. maybe they're they're kind of silently doing that on their own from home um and then they're only engaging the real estate professional a month or two before yeah towards the end and, and you know plus summertime's a lot more fun than winter yeah you true want to well, go out and have a good time maybe they're going to look online and i'm not again i'm obviously inventory it plays a role and there, there's been an inventory shortage which which plays a role but i don't know i guess what i'm I don't want to say suggesting, but what I'm throwing out there is a, a possible thought is that that's true, that people are doing their research online. They're not engaging towards it until the end. And, you know, whether or not that's going to if the normal purchasing cycles are going to continue going forward, I kind of question. I don't think it's going to change overnight, but I, I'm somewhat questioning whether it's going to continue to be what it's been for decades. Well, there's always been this this argument that the reason it slows down in the the winter is because it's the holidays and you've got your home decorated and you're having holiday parties and you don't want people coming through your house and getting mud yeah. on your carpet or something right before you have your Christmas party at your house. I could totally see how this ability to put your home up for sale online, you know, by you you go look at any listing online anymore and there's upwards of 30 40 50 pictures of the home i yeah. mean it's the same room from every different corner of the room um you have virtual tours now you can do satellite imagery of of what the you know the surrounding <laughs> you can lots get a pretty good like. idea I mean, you get a pretty is. darn good idea you can google you know you you follow the path of the Google car down the street and you're looking at it like you're driving down the street. I mean, you can pretty much do it all from your living room. So yeah, uh, maybe people can shop right on through the winter season. And, pretty soon uh, we're going to have a virtual life, right? Yeah, totally. I've got no reason to leave the house anymore. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and I don't know, that's just the thought that I've had is that maybe those things are changing. And for the last couple of years, it's played out. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There's 10 years ago or prior to the financial crisis, there was a similar year to this one where, but we'll see. We'll see. It's a, it's a thought to see, see how that plays through. Yeah. Uh, 
So, you know, and what I've noticed just locally with our business is that although it seemed so very slow this first half of the year, um, total units wise was actually in line um, with the last two with the last last year. At least I was looking at last year. It was it was actually in line. This month of July was where I've seen the biggest amount of separation um, last year, it seemed like June and July was where we really started to take off and we're bigger. Yeah, started to see bigger months of activity this year. It's, it still seems like we're lagging a little bit, although July was a good pickup. Um, August seems poised to be a good month as well. So it just seems like for whatever reason, we're off to a little bit of a, a slower um, I don't slower know, start, start to that. It could be just that inventory issue. It's, yeah, it's hard to say. Well, you know, we stopped building for about eight years, and that's going to affect the amount of homes on the on the market. And, uh, you know, we live in a place where a lot of people want to live. I don't know if that's across the country. But, again, when you listen to the financial stations, they do talk about inventory shortages, you know, coast to coast. So, but, you know, you got to – real estate markets are obviously all local. I think that's even a saying. Yeah. Right? All markets are local markets. One thing that I can – interject on that though is every person that i know that's been really truly interested in buying a home you know there's there's different levels of interest right some people are like yeah you know i'm interested but you know, i don't mm-hmm. know when that, that's not that's not someone who seems like they're actively working towards buying a home you know that it's not like a three-month goal of theirs yeah people who it's like this is going to happen in the next 90 days for me i i want it to happen i'm ready i've made that decision um those people are able to find a home. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's slimmer pickings. Maybe they have to concede more on their wish list um, than what they would hope. But those people are able to buy homes. So yeah. there is su- there's stuff out there. There's enough out there to get those people um, to the point where they find what they want and they pull the trigger. I would say that, yeah, I, I agree to, a, to an extent. There, there's definitely an exception, though. People that are coming in to buy their last home their dream home, a ranch, or something along those lines. Sure. There's people that actively really want to purchase in, in that particular portion of the market that are struggling. People that are, you know, starting families or... Just looking know, to get their foot in the door. Trying to get into the market. Like Those people are going to find those houses. Yeah. Those people are going to find those houses. But as soon... You go up in price a little bit and you go to, you know, like I said, more of a... I don't want to say retirement age, but unfortunately people around my age or older... You know, that are looking for more of a final place. They're not finding stuff as as easily. Well, and I understand that. They probably have a more particular idea of what they're looking for. Maybe maybe they're less willing to concede on certain things. Whereas an entry level buyer is like, I'll take what I can get. Well, yeah. And most of the time they don't have to. I mean, they have a house that they have to sell. So it's not as if they don't find what they want right now that they are in a position where, well, we're homeless. Yeah. You know, we, we've got to go rent a place or something at this point. So, yeah, maybe the pressure is less on that area. And plus, like you said, you know, they're they're going to be a bit more particular because they plan to remain there. You know, when you're at a different stage of life, you just got to get on with getting on, right? You sure. Get in a house, raise some kids, do your thing. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think most of the market, yeah, if they really, really want to find a property, they're going to go out there and find a property. You know, and if they've got a, a good realtor that's, uh, you know, providing them with information, you know, on a timely basis, they're they're going to get out there and do their thing. 
So yeah, it'll be an interesting thing to see. And then the other thing, I honestly, I feel like how were uh, how was the building numbers? Construction spending was down, unfortunately. Um, construction spending down about one point three percent. And then I'm trying to see, did I see permits? I don't see permits in this, but yeah, construction spending was down a little bit, a little disappointing. Construction spending, though, fluctuates, um, and it doesn't necessarily tell you the whole story. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. You know, permits are always an interesting number because that's a sign of of what's to come. Um, Like housing starts. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what I see, again, real estate is local. So you got to really look locally at what's going on. And we've seen a lot of headlines lately about some big projects that are coming on with the San yeah. Luis Ranch, Avila Ranch, a couple of other projects. I mean, we're talking a couple thousand homes um, are in the planning and permitting phase. And so, yeah, those those aren't going to be actual units for sale for a while, a number of years, but it's still a sign. I mean, there's activity going on and we know that there are current projects that are coming to fruition and, and now becoming units for sale. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's, that's going to take some, obviously that's going to take some pressure off of the inventory situation. So, you know, I, I, if we start to build again, that would be, that would be helpful. Resale stuff, you know, it's a little bit different. And uh, honestly too, I mean, you had a, a period of what, eight years where you weren't getting necessarily the, uh, the appreciation in your property. In fact, there was opposite of that for a minute. Yeah. And now they are, you know, so maybe those people want to hold on to that property just a little bit longer. Let's just realize a little bit more appreciation. Um, you know, I don't think that they're, I think if everybody continued on that path, then, you know, obviously that would stall that intention out. Yeah, but they're, you know, we we had a an agent on um, a few weeks back, and it was interesting to get his perspective. Um, he, he was talking about, you know, a lot of these people picked up properties in that downtime. You yes. Know, those that were, that had the cash and the, the ability to pick up discounted properties did so and it was proved to be a brilliant decision for them and, oh yeah and you know depending on their strategy if if they were just looking for a sweet deal and to buy and hold and enjoy that rental income every month great you know those people aren't likely to be sellers anytime soon because yeah they're looking for the income. not only have they built up some equity on their purchase which is just lovely to them that's you know money in the bank so to speak but they're getting that cash flow every month and they love it and that, that's great but there's some people who saw it as an opportunity to buy low and maybe sell high don't really enjoy the whole landlord experience yeah can't blame you um <laughs> those people might be ready to let those properties go and realize their gains and move on to the next venture um so yeah there was a thought here from this uh guest of ours that that there there's potential here to see some resale homes coming back onto the market. That's an interesting thought for sure. I mean, a lot of people did jump into that market because they had the additional cash at that particular time. And and there wasn't a lot of people, other people that did. So they, they undoubtedly had that opportunity and I've been a landlord before and it's not for everybody. Right. So yeah, you might have people that are starting to realize like, yeah, that was a great investment, but I hate doing it. Yeah. Man, I'm not going to fix another hole in the wall, <laughs> you know. I am just ready to be done with that and 
Move on. I know that that was one of the things growing up. My dad had a bunch of rental properties in in Sacramento. Not a bunch, a couple. But, you know, every now and then the tenants would turn over and you go in. You're like, what did these people do to this place? There's like holes in walls and doors and like, oh, yeah, (laughs) what is going on? And it just kind of gets to be a drag after a while. So there could certainly be some people who who bought low and are ready to take their yeah, their yeah. big gain. I know my neighborhood's probably doubled since that peak low time. So there's a lot of people in that kick position. Into the landlord experience, my parents actually had one in Fresno for a while, and when they moved out, they turned the power off, but they left all the food in the refrigerator. Oh, yeah. oh. talk about a mess in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gross. Yeah, and so like we actually had to because it had been like a week or so before we actually got over there. And so the refrigerator had to go, the linoleum in the kitchen had to go because it was all just messed up. And That's gross. So yeah. Just, yeah. So there, there's, there's some not fun things about being a landlord. That's for sure. What kind of decaying food eats the linoleum? I thought that stuff would <laughs> yeah, it make just, it yeah. through a nuclear bomb. Yeah, no, it's just like kind of. Because of the way the linoleum is, it got underneath the seam. Ah, uh, yeah, that's not good. Oh, yeah, stuff starts melting and mm-hmm. dripping. and yeah. 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 I had one in South Carolina, and I don't know yeah. if the uh, property management company was the problem or the people, but uh, heavy turnover, and then every time I had to replace an appliance. I think that's what Like, how do actually... you break all those appliances all the time, man? How yeah. many stoves can you buy in a year? Yeah, and I think that's actually <laughs> when they got a property management company, too. Oh, yeah, to take because care of it. Because actually that does help. Yeah, they can drive yeah, by and say it they buffers are, you. Yeah, they can. They can. They collect the rent. They can go over there collect the rent. They can, you know, kind of see the yard. They can see how things are looking on the outside, at least. And well, then yeah. for so you, help, as yeah. the as the owner, you can kind of remove the emotional attachment you have to it all, and then it's just it's purely yeah. cash in, cash out kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, investment. Yeah, I think. That, I mean, I I will only buy them near me. Let's just put it that way, <laughs> not 3,000 miles away. But, yeah, you know, it, that's definitely a possibility. And, you know, the other thing is I I think, I don't know about at your house, but my wife and daughter watch about every flip or flop, remodel, rehab show on television. And I think that there's probably a lot of properties with deferred maintenance sitting out there that, you know, maybe they were rentals for a while, or maybe they're just people that were just hanging on for a minute or, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think if you've got one of those type of properties right now where it needs a little bit of work that you might actually have a lot of people interested in doing it because it seems, I don't know, like I said, I don't want to call it a fad, but at my house, that stuff plays a lot. It's that and the wedding dress one that <laughs> always seems to be on. Well, there's oh. a lot. Go ahead. I will say that the people that moved out did not get their cleaning deposit back. I would hope not. Yeah. You kept that yeah. thing? Yeah, pretty much all. <laughs> yeah. And buy a new refrigerator, new linoleum, it pretty much all. Did yeah. you replace the subfloor or was it that uh, bad? I don't think it was that bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, to your point, Will, about the uh, rehab property, I, I think there's a there's a willingness out there of the people wanting to take those projects on and the do it yourself or there's, you know, some people like the project. Mm-hmm. Some people like the opportunity to build the sweat equity and the, the perception that they're getting that great deal. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm getting value here. Um, so for variety of reasons, people are entertaining those properties. And what's really great is that there's, financing for it because really for a long time when anything 
had those health or safety issues of that deferred maintenance usually describing <laughs> um that's a problem you have to be an all-cash buyer and that really greatly limited who could take on that type of project but now that there's financing opportunities for those types of homes and all the you know the yeah. information out there of the how to do it and the people willing to take on those projects um now you've got this whole this whole new audience that that can do it and, and yeah. is willing to do it. So it's exciting now. Well, yeah, and I would tell you that it, when the banks respond with reintroducing those types of products, it's definitely a, an indication of demand. I really doubt that they would be out there introducing those products again and and uh, getting the support staff that's necessary and, and the back office ready to go to, to make those products available if there wasn't a demand out there. So I, I think it's a sign that, yeah, there's a demand. So I think people that have those types of properties should be talking to people here pretty soon. Yeah. I, I wanted to spend the second half of the show talking a little bit about um, how buyers can enter this market. I, there's still this false, false assumption out there that you need – 20% down to buy a home that you need immaculate credit to buy a home. And these things aren't always the case. In fact, they're not true. I, I kind of have an asterisk as I say that because there's, you know, yeah, you need to have decent credit. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's better when you have a down payment. There, there's a lot of positives of having a down payment, but you know, the, the prospect of saving 20% in a market like San Luis Obispo County is a difficult one. Um, and so I want to remind people that that's not necessarily the case. And we'll, we'll develop that a little bit more in the second hour. But to this uh, rehab topic here that, we, that we've touched on a little bit, that's not limited to just an experienced homeowner either. The, the ability to buy a, a, def, a property with deferred maintenance and fix it up and do that thing that you see on TV, that that flipper flop or, you know, property brothers type of scenario <laughs> where you're buying the house. You're like, I would never live in this place. And then at the end of the show, they're like, oh, my God, I never knew it could be like this. It's the it's Taj amazing. Mahal. For it's sure. my dream home. Uh, even a first time buyer can do that kind of thing. And it's not out. It's not crazy. It's not a crazy risk. Um, it actually with with the way these rehab loans work, you actually have a a third party that's experienced in seeing these projects helping you along the way. You've got an underwriter in your corner who's helping make sure that the builder is is giving you a quote that is realistic and reasonable. Yeah. Um, that they're not gouging. They're making sure the builder themselves is experienced and has um, a track record and, and they themselves have good credit and um, ability to well, perform this kind of project. And they're going to, you know, they're pretty much looking to make sure that you get the ROI, the return on investment for the, for, you know, the work that you plan to get done, which I think is the biggest thing. Cause the one thing I will make sure, you know, I'm sure everybody knows it's just an obvious statement, but banks don't want to be over levered in a property. They want to make sure that they have appropriate collateral. So if they're loaning the money for the rehab, I uh, can promise that uh, they're making sure that the the work that's being done is adding the value that's necessary to make sure that those people were in good position. So, yeah, I definitely feel like that's a bit of a, a comfort. I don't know. What's the little blanket thing that kids carry around? It's a little bit of a comforting thing, right? <laughs> sure. So, yeah, you know, they're, they're undoubtedly going to double check that the work you're doing is going to add the value. 
and that you're going to come out of the project in, in a good position. So, yeah, I think that that's – and they're responding to a need. So, yeah, you know, those, it's those are good signs. In in, a, in markets, which are all over the place where there's low inventory, yeah. um, it, you know, people have an idea of what they want. And, you know, experienced buyers know this, but first-time buyers don't necessarily. Uh, the process of buying a home, it's not just sifting through the stuff that you don't like to find the home that's perfect. Yeah. You know, the perfect home generally isn't out there. No. Usually it's this process of, well, I guess I don't need the stainless appliances. Or, well, I guess I don't need the... Three-acre backyard. Yeah, the three-acre backyard. Or I, I could probably live without the pool today. I'd like it someday, but I don't need it today. Yeah. You know, it's a process of elimination of the things. Well, I could live without this. I could live without that. And then you finally settle on something. It's a process of settling. Ne- needs versus wants, right? <laughs> so in a, in a market where there's low inventories and you're still trying to make something work, a rehab loan is an opportunity to find a home that doesn't necessarily meet all your needs, but you can make it more to what you want with a little bit of home improvement. And you could do it all in one fixed rate loan. So we're nearing the the hour break. I think we've kind of exhausted this. If you want to know more about rehab, buying a, a home with either deferred maintenance or just not quite all the amenities that you're looking for and you want to finance in some of those improvements into the purchase of the home or even through a refinance of the home, um, let's talk more during the week. You can give us a call at any one of our Central Coast Lending offices throughout the county. Uh, the number to all of our offices is 543-LOAN, 543-5626. You can also check out a little more information about those programs online at centralcoastlending.com. Um when we come back, we got a whole another hour with you. We're going to talk a little bit more about this home buying process, um, what you really need to to be in a position to buy a home. And um, I think this will be particularly interesting to first-time buyers. So if you're out there, maybe you're an experienced buyer, it'd be great for you to listen and pass this information on to the first-time buyers in your life. Um, I think it'll be valuable uh, information to help them get ready to buy a house. Uh We're getting forced out here, so we're going to take about a five-minute break, and then we'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
Here we are. We're back. You're still listening to Mortgage Matters. We've got one more hour with you. I like that song, too. Yeah. We're rocking out this morning. That's yeah. right. We're just going to rock out the rest of the show. How about that? Yeah. I, I'm with you. Let's do it. All right. Good. Let's do it. Waking me up. You don't know how much I needed this, Jim. I had yeah. a rough wake up this morning. Did you really? Yeah. I made a pot of hot water instead of coffee this morning. Oh, I've done that. <laughs> yeah. Did I've that work that. out? Yeah, it was disappointing. I <laughs> 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 thought I was going to pour my... First cup. Pour my cup and get out of the house, and nope, got to do it one more time. Yeah. It's good practice, though. I definitely definitely made for a better better pot of coffee the second time around. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, it's almost as bad as that one day that I made a pot of coffee and put two tablespoons of salt into the yeah, coffee. Yeah, I remember that day. Yeah. That, yeah, that didn't sound like fun. Yeah. <laughs> Not Salty very. coffee it's doesn't rude. taste good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was here, actually. I was like, oh. Grab the salt, grab <laughs> the sugar. Yeah. Doesn't taste good, no. Not the same experience. Mm-hmm. No. Oh, so, man. yeah. All right. Well, we uh, we had a good first hour of the show. Talked about some of the major headlines for the for the week, and you know, really, I think um, we come in every week. We talk about some of this economic data, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the format of the show. Um, all of these these economic uh, factoids, if you will, that come out every week, um, they impact our interest rate market, and so they help guide us on on how to how to guide our clients, how to tell them, you know, when the right time is to to lock in an interest rate. Um, th- that that's a lot of what it has to do with. It has to do with interest rate movement and stuff like that. So that that's what we're focused on with the economic data side. Then there's the whole planning and and buying process and that's where we have all these different loan products available to us guide people on their credit on their down payment you know getting their their money together to purchase a home um their income debt to income ratio these are all important things for us in the underwriting process that are separate from just the interest rate component of mortgage and so i want to spend the second hour talking about that that buying process and how some of these other things shape up and, and want to dispel a couple of those myths that are out there about needing 20% down to buy a home, needing perfect credit to buy a home, um, because not all of those things are true. No, they're not. And, you know, and during the financial crisis, the pendulum swung pretty hard one direction, you know, and I know that that that's where some of that misinformation stems from. But a lot of those things have lightened up quite a bit and have opened up the the market to a lot more people. Um, most areas have lightened up a bit. You know, debt to income is kind of the, the one holdout. But, you know, down payment, there's definitely programs that you can go out and get if you don't have a substantial down payment. There's programs that you can get, you know, if you qualify income-wise and geographic-wise that have zero down and you know, VA has been around forever. So there's obviously that loan product. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the government loans are undoubtedly a larger portion of the amount of loans that are being written at the moment. Um, basically, any loan program that ends in an A, FHA, VA, USDA. <laughs> I just call them the A's. <laughs> but yeah, you know, there's undoubtedly that. But people still have that idea that those, those uh, the time where they wanted your firstborn and your blood type and, uh, you know, you to be able to say your ABCs backwards and all of those types of crazy things. That's kind of gone. And a lot of those those things have lightened up. Yeah, I, I would say the guidelines have it got really tight right 
right during the heart the the height of the financial crisis and it's it has loosened up in certain areas um after having a little experience with the tighter guidelines and seeing how it's impacting qualification and seeing who wasn't able to qualify as a result of those tightened guidelines, then the, there's been some calculated um, changes here. You know, well, we, we see that this debt-to-income ratio issue has been a little bit of a hang-up, so we're going to loosen it up in certain situations, which is actually the most recent announcement yeah. we just saw from Fannie Mae. Um, Fannie Mae had previously allowed debt to income ratios up to 55% in some instances and then they ratcheted it all the way down to 45%. Now they're saying we're going to open it back up to 50 in certain situations. So they're going to look at residual income, which is that that income you have left over after your housing payment is paid and after your consumer debts are paid. What money do you have left over after those those mandatory obligations are paid? Yeah, it's more of a retained earnings calculation, similar yeah. to what the VA has always done. You know, and the reality to that is in our area, it'll be hugely helpful because let's not lie, the housing market's very high. Um, the incomes are generally slightly higher, but when you have a higher income, you can spend more of the money on housing or other debts and still have, you know, a substantial retained earning. Um, I think in high cost areas like ours, you know, that that uh, that that's going to continue to prove true. And, you know, a lot of the loosening guidelines are because they've, you know, they've tracked performances of of those mortgage backed securities and they've continued to perform. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, be cautious not to not to let people think that it's the fog of mirror loans that right. led to the financial crisis. Like those are undoubtedly not being done anymore. Right. But you know, as you progress and things recover, you know, they can, they can gauge what things lead to non-performance and what things, you know, don't. And, you know, like I said, you know, or like you were saying that the sometimes in certain circumstances, the higher debt to income ratios aren't necessarily weakening you know, the underlying loan file and those things continue to perform. Yeah. Debt to income ratio is one of those funny things where it's, you know, underwriting guidelines have this, you know, number 50% for everybody. Yeah. But when you look at different, different levels of earnings, yeah, 50% debt to income ratio means different things. Let's talk about the person who makes $4,000 a month. Yes. Right? After taxes, let's say take home is $3,000 a month. Well, we qualify you off of gross income. So if we qualify you up to 50% of your gross income, that $4,000 a month, you can have a housing payment that's $2,000 a month. Okay, but your take home is only three. So really... You're surviving on a grand. You're, you're, after you make that housing payment, you got 1000 bucks a month to pay your credit cards, auto loans, student loans, buy groceries, pay for utilities. I mean, that's not a lot of residual income. Now let's talk about the guy who's making $10,000 a month. Uh, let's say that person's in a slightly higher uh, tax bracket. Let's say they only see two-thirds of their income. So now they're seeing about $6,500, $6,700 or so of that income per month. Well, we can qualify them up to $5,000 a month mortgage payment, that's a pretty high mortgage. A lot of times when you get people up in that, um, you know, th those higher income earners, we tend to find that 
they're not comfortable paying $5,000 a month no, for housing. No, we no, can no. qualify them to well over what's comfortable. So they usually self-regulate and say, no, nah, you know what? 3000 is about the max I'm willing to pay for housing per yeah. month. So even though we can qualify them up to five grand per month, they, they, they self-regulate. They say, you know, three is where I want to be. So, you know, their residual income after housing payment is significantly different. I mean, they're taking home 6700 They're only willing to pay 3000 a month on housing. They've got $3,700 per month left to pay all those same consumer debt type bills. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that those things have to be considered. And, you know, like the one loan program that always has is, the, like I said, the VA, not to keep bringing that up. But, yeah, the VA always worked off of the retained earnings calculation, which seems to make a bit more sense. So... Yeah, we'll see. So we dove right into debt to income ratio, which I think is more like a advanced level. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. To, that was my fault. I wanted to start more with credit and down payment because these, I think, are the two basics that people get hung up on. Yeah. Of, you know, when they first start to think about, you know, should I be a home buyer? Should I get into this? Tired of paying $2,000 a month for renting a house? I could basically pay the same to, to own a house. Let's Let's try that. So, um, you know, first let's talk about this down payment issue. Mm -hmm. 20% down. I see it all the time. Um, that that's this, that's what's needed to buy a home. That's just, it's simply not true. You don't need to save 20%. It's nearly impossible to save 20% at today's earning levels with today's home values, especially on the coast of California. I mean, where. Here, just in our neck of the woods, median home price is $550,000 or something. You know, I think that's what yeah. the county median is now. Um, to save 20%, to save $110,000, that's a tough thing to do for a lot of um, younger home buyers around here. So let's look at the alternatives. If you're a veteran, got a great opportunity with VA. Yes. You, can, you can buy with zero down. VA being a veteran allows you to buy a home with no money down. It's awesome. And it's a great low interest rate. It's better than conventional rates. It's yeah. When you stack up the minimum down VA, minimum down conventional, minimum down FHA, VA is clearly the way to go. It's, Hands down. It's just an awesome loan program. Low government loan program interest rate. You know, you're looking at mid threes on the interest rate. For a 30-year loan, you're looking at um, closing costs that are capped because the VA will only allow a certain amount of fees to be charged to you in a loan transaction and, um, and, and no money down. I mean, it's, it's just an incredible way to buy a home. But, you know, there's that obvious restriction of you be being back. a veteran. Yeah. So for those of you who are not veterans, you've got USDA, conventional, and FHA as your available loan programs. USDA is great, especially in our area where so much of the county is considered rural. Yeah. Um, zero down again, very low mortgage insurance, um, pretty flexible on the credit. You can get a USDA loan. I mean, really technically, USDA does not have a minimum credit score. Yeah. But for all practical purposes, let's say a 550. And a reminder, to have a 550 credit score, you have to have really tried to not pay some bills. Um, you have to be <laughs> determined to have bad credit to have a 550 credit score. So if you have bad credit, but you have an explanation for what happened, 
you can get a USDA loan with those lower credit scores. Yep. If you have a 620 or higher, that's a lot better. But USDA will entertain lower credit scores, 0% down. The big hang-up with USDA is that income cap. And what we find in our area with higher home prices is that that income cap, which sits right around 90 grand for household income, makes it difficult to buy that median home of 550 grand which is the numbers don't always shake out yeah you know and and the not to go back to the advance but the debt ratio is a bit restricted on that one so yeah it it's not as popular as it once was because of those things but it's still a very popular loan and i've done lots of them they're they're a great loan program too um undoubtedly you know lower mortgage insurance than an fha VA only has a funding fee, so that one obviously is a different story. But, yeah, it's a great loan program, and they do a lot of different things, too. I mean, they they have a lot of programs, um, a lot of the, you know, I don't want to say charity stuff, but a lot of the, you know, build your own houses, people, self-help, stuff like that. They work with these programs. Um, I have a a buddy that's a developer, and they build in in areas in the valley where the USDA plays a, a relatively large role in getting those houses moved and sold and getting people into the property. So, it it's a great loan program. Um, again, low interest rate. Yeah, you know, minimum MI. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it is like I said, you like you're saying, it's a little bit difficult because the house prices are high, the income's restricted. So, and it's, there's a restrictive debt ratio. So, yeah, it kind of has to fit in this sweet spot. It's a tighter I, box. I would say the sweet spot is for up to like the 425 sales price, 450 sales. Let Let's say 450 is pushing. Let's it, say yeah. about up to that that 420, 425 sales price. It's for someone who has no consumer debt. If you have no consumer debt, then I think you can get up to that 425 level. If you have an auto loan or some credit card payments, then you're probably more in the high twos, mid th- low to mid threes as far as your max purchase price. Those are the sweet spots, I think, for USDA. Well, unless you have children. I mean, if you have, if you're in a five to eight person household, yeah, then it's then then the income restriction gets a little less restrictive. Let's say Um, one to four person household is, I think, around, I think it's eighty eight thousand and change. It's pretty close. And then the uh, five to eight person household, it's it's like right around one sixteen, a hundred a hundred and sixteen thousand household income. I tell you what, if if anybody wants to know how to look it up, I mean, specifically, because you can put in two kids, you get certain credits for that. There's, you know, a disability credit. If you just Google USDA eligibility. Income eligibility. Yeah, you, you'll it'll direct you to the website. And mm-hmm. on the website, you can put in the specifics. You know, this is what I make monthly. These are the number of people that that live in my house. These are the specifics. And it's not hard. There's only about, what, five different fields that you fill out. Mm-hmm. And then it'll give you your eligibility. Um, scroll down, though, because there's two programs. There's the USDA Direct, which is far more restrictive and doesn't isn't really going to work here very much anymore, I wouldn't assume. You don't think guaranteed. I mean, the, yeah. So you got to go to the guarantee. And yeah. that's, that's going to be the second one down. So if you put in your information and the very first thing that you see is uh, non-eligible, scroll down. Because chances are relatively good that you may be eligible for the other program, which is, you know, quite a bit larger as far as uh, availability to people. And then the other thing you can look up there is the uh, the geographic restrictions. Yeah. 
In I I can yeah, the geographic restriction, you can type in an actual property address and it will tell you if it's in an eligible area. You can just kind of zoom in on the map and see they have it color coded for what the eligible areas are. Um in general, the in our county, it's North County, so north of San Luis Obispo is eligible. The North Coast is eligible. Um, and then S- San Luis Obispo is not eligible, and Five Cities area is not eligible. Santa Maria, the, the densely populated part, is not eligible. You get out into Orchid and you know some of the yeah. outskirts areas, Nipomo, those areas are eligible. So a lot of our county is eligible for that USDA loan program. Um, but, um, definitely a worthwhile tool to look at. It's a great, it's a great opportunity if you can fit the restrictive guidelines. So we've talked about two zero down opportunities, ways to buy home with no down payment. And they're great, safe loan programs too. Um, fixed rates, 30 year fixed. I mean, just great way to get into a home. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to expand more on some of the conventional ways with, to buy a home with minimum down. And then we'll get into some of the credit side of, of qualifying for a home purchase. So um, stick with us. We're going to be back with more Mortgage Matters right after this break. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's nothing like the euphoric feeling you get when you find the perfect home. The last thing you want is the embarrassment of discovering you don't qualify. It can actually cost you your deposit. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-396-08. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. It's been a hot day.
Welcome back. You are listening to Mortgage Matters. We're talking a little bit about how to buy a home with less than 20% down. It's uh, it's actually seems to be the rarity anymore to, to see, especially first-time buyers buying with that kind of, you know, with 20% or more down. I, I don't see that too often unless there's a healthy contribution from a relative. Um, more... Whoa. Well, I just we decided I liked it again, so <laughs> yeah. I was going to play the song again. It got um, good to you, didn't it? There it is, yeah. There you go. There the is. more common formula that I see with entry-level buyers is uh, is buying with one of these minimum down programs, um, living in the house for a couple years, maybe making a couple of improvements, making their mortgage payment every month. Yeah. After a couple years, find that you've built up a little equity, and then uh, then you look to be a move up buyer, take that equity, flip it into a home that fits more of your needs, checks more of your boxes. And then, uh, and then you move up that way. That, that seems to be the winning formula. And you can do that even with a zero down USDA, that could be your entry level buy. You build that equity, flip that equity into the new purchase. Yeah. And even if they don't, they have the ability to alter the financing that they get. You know, it makes it relatively difficult. I mean, if you're looking at a a median home price at five fifty, and a median income at I don't know. What is it? 79, 80? Around here, I think it's the median income, I think, is more in like the forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 range. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes it relatively difficult. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, 20% is uh, a lot, a lot of money. Definitely. So, you know, it, but those programs are, you know, still pretty sturdy and they definitely, I mean, they have great rates. I mean, the, the bigger drawback is mostly the mortgage insurance. Yeah, you know, but like you said, after you gain a little bit of equity, that 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 type of deal doesn't have to remain the financing that you keep in place. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, it's undoubtedly a tool to get you in. Um, so we, you know, we talked a little bit about VA a zero down loan program for veterans. We talked yes. about USDA, which is a zero down loan program for rural properties, and so there are some restrictions with that. And now we want to get into some of the more common. Uh, zero or not zero down. These are low down loan programs. We've got your FHA and your conventional products. Yes. Um, the, the FHA product is, it, it's a good one. It's a three and a half percent down loan program. Um, FHA is really, I, I would say a second option for that. Ideally we'd slot someone in a conventional loan program versus FHA because Primarily, it has to do with the mortgage insurance. Yes. Um, the mortgage insurance that comes with a a low-down conventional loan, it's a little bit lower uh, mortgage insurance, which is nice. Obviously, you want to pay less for mortgage insurance, but it also can go away at some point. You can uh, Once you have 20% equity in your, in your property, you can uh, lobby your servicer to remove that. Um, yeah, and, and and you've got the security of knowing that the rate that you're putting in place now is you you don't have to refinance out of the mortgage insurance, which right. is is the only option with FHA. Um, yeah, FHA the mortgage insurance is there's a upfront premium that doesn't exist with conventional. There's a higher monthly premium than with conventional, and that monthly premium with FHA is for the life of the loan. So the only way to get out of it, as you said, is to refinance out of it. Exactly. Which if that refinance is three, four, or five years down the road, what's the interest rate market looking like? Yeah, you're taking rate risk there. Yeah. 
You know, the, the thing the thing that I find myself doing when I'm looking at, you know, going to one of the low-down conventional products versus the FHA is I, I, I tend to find that I, I'll look at the FHA product, I'll take that rate, I'll add in the mortgage insurance. And if together those are lower than the conventional rate with the MI added into the rate. So say the MI is 0.85, mm-hmm. right? And the rate... Well, let's call it 0.8. Say they put down 5% because that's easier math. And, you know, the rate's at 4 and an eighth. You know that if you add the 4 and an eighth plus the 0.8, if that rate is lower than than the conventional rate and the people make under a certain amount of money, which we'll go back to later. But if that's lower, then that's a great product. But for the most part, a lot of times anymore, the conventional rate is going to be lower than that. And, yeah, you do have mortgage insurance on that loan until you reach that loan to value level, but eventually it does go away. Yeah. I would suggest that even if you line them up and they're identical, conventional is the better way to go because you can get rid of the mortgage insurance without the rate risk. You might even consider, even if the conventional is a little less attractive initially, the prospect of getting rid of the mortgage insurance might still make it the more attractive long-term solution for you. Undoubtedly. You kind of got away. What's your plan? How long do you plan on being in this home? We'll help you decide which loan program as well. Um, you know, the conventional side, I, 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 probably the biggest factor in determining whether you go the minimum down conventional route versus the minimum down FHA is your credit score. FHA yes. is so much more forgiving on credit. Not only will it accommodate a lower credit score, a lower credit score doesn't impact the interest rate on the FHA side like it does on conventional. You get, I mean, even just what I would call average credit at 660 can have a big impact on a rate in the conventional world. FHA, as long as you qualify for an FHA loan, you're pretty much getting the same rate. The The, the guy with the 550 credit score is going to get darn near the same rate as the person with the 780 credit score. It's just so much more forgiving. As long as you meet minimum standards, the rate is the rate with FHA. Conventional, it's all risk-based. Yeah, it's pri- the pricing adjustments undoubtedly are, are that play a role. I mean, I honestly, I had a loan recently, um, you know, just talking in generalizations, but I went back and forth pricing that thing out for the entire loan. And one one day the FHA was a better deal, the other day the conventional but that was all credit driven. It was all the adjustments that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If those adjustments hadn't been there, it would you know it would have tipped the scales um, towards the conventional side um, quite a bit. You know, so yeah, and you know, you're absolutely correct. You, each, each person or each time, you're going to have to look at both of those situations to see which one's better. But ideally, you know, the conventional is undoubtedly better in that you can get rid of the MI. Yeah. And you have the security that the fact that to get rid of the MI, you don't have to necessarily take the rate risk of replacing it in a refinance. So it's a brilliant thing. And so the conventional has, for minimum down, either a 3% or a 5% down option. The 3% down option is only available up to a maximum loan amount of 424100 So that's the conforming loan limit. Um, across the country is $424,100. So that's the the maximum loan amount for a 3% down conventional loan. So basically that puts your purchase price right around 435. Around 435, you can do 3% down. You can get that, um, that 424 loan. It's an awesome 
awesome loan program. Um, there is an income restriction to it. You have to be it, and it varies by area. I'm finding it's it's kind of interesting. It also varies by whether you're going down the Fannie Mae version of the program or the Freddie Mac version of the program. Um, they both work off of the area median income figure, which for a lot of our areas around eighty three thousand um, dollars. So I'm finding Fannie Mae in our area. Uh, a lot of our area is looking to just, that's the income limit. Freddie Mac actually will go up to 140% of that area median income. So Freddie's a little more, uh, just has a greater ability to allow you to qualify in our area. Interestingly enough, I have a, a relative buying up in the Bay Area and up in his area, the East Bay, um, Fannie Mae has no income restriction. Freddie Mac does have an income restriction. So it's kind of weird. There's no real rhyme or reason to it all. You just got to go use their lookup tools to figure it all out. Yeah, and it's all available online and relatively easy to use. But yeah, it, it's it, it's a bit different the way they're doing drawing these income lines. But it's a really great loan program and it helps if, if you qualify under these income restrictive conventional minimum down loan programs, you actually can get great deals on mortgage insurance. You get these reduced MI levels that just help you save money on your mortgage insurance, which is awesome. Well, yeah, and they limit the the pricing adjustments that, that we were one. talking out, you know, talking about earlier when you were talking about the difference between FHA and uh, and conventional. Sometimes with the low down programs, the credit score being a big factor, the 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 hits, the things like credit score and loan to value, and the adjustments that you take not to rate but to fee, are are restricted on those programs. So. It, it does pull some of the people that would have to go into a, um, a life of the loan mortgage insurance product into the ability to go into a conventional loan. So undoubtedly a, another brilliant thing. So if you're in that situation, if you're, if you're a person that's out there and you're looking to get into a, a low down loan, you really have to chat with somebody. Yeah. You know, there's, there's research that needs to be done. Um, you know, it's, it's all a product of math, but, you need to know where to look and you need to know which programs to look at and you need to, you know, we, we're at a, a strong advantage in that we own a pricing engine, or sure. <laughs> which helps out. Well, and, and what we do this every single day. So this is the exact thought process that we go through when we're consulting with a, an entry level buyer, a new buyer is we go through and we figure out, first of all, which of these programs are you even eligible for? Are you a veteran? Are you buying in a rural area? You know, what's your income level? And let's let's eliminate some of these programs that you just simply don't qualify for. And let's figure out what's available to you. And then we'll weigh out which of these programs makes the most short-term financial sense for you and the most long-term financial sense for you. And then we just help you uh, make that decision. But there's all these different options. And I think to the bigger point is about what do you really need to prepare yourself to buy a home as far as down payment goes? You don't need 20%. You know, recently I I caught on to this NPR um, article. It, it was actually a an article written about a show that was on on the radio on NPR, and they were talking. The whole premise of this discussion was about how long it takes at the median income levels to save twenty percent to buy the median home all over the country and all the different markets. And that in so many of these markets, it was upwards of 30 or 40 years to save 20%. And I just couldn't, I, I was, it was frustrating to me that on a national radio program, 
the whole premise of this discussion was flawed from the beginning that this is what buyers need to prepare themselves for is saving for 30 years to save that 20% down. It's like, no, that's flawed logic. You don't need to do that. You need to, you need to come up with, you know, target 5% as what you need to come up with for your down payment. Cause even if you can get into one of those zero down loan programs, you need a little bit of money for some closing costs. It's also just, great idea to have a little bit of a reserve reserve i mean rainy days happen you know the appliances break things need to be fixed so it's nice to have some reserve and and so just target about five percent as that minimum requirement to really be ready to buy a home um it, it it's just a that that i think is is reality in today's market for the entry level buyer waiting 30 years to save 100 grand doesn't make any sense because after 30 years what's the home worth then you're you know, you're never going to keep yeah, up yeah you pick your head up you've oh i finally got it i'm now you know 50 years old and i have 60 years old and i've got my 100 grand and now homes are worth a million dollars and so now my 20% down's 200 grand it just doesn't make sense you got to go for that minimum and then you get in and you let the market help you build equity too that seems to be the winning formula that i've seen so where can you come up with down payment what are eligible sources of down payment I think that's something that people don't always understand also. It doesn't have to just be your own savings. Yeah, gift funds are gift funds are, are definitely a, a viable source of income if you have somebody that's willing to give you gift funds. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be the one and only source of money for down payment yeah, and absolutely. closing costs. You don't need to put any of your own money down in a transaction. It can be entirely from a gift from a relative. Um, but... I, I'm referencing back to my cousin buying up in the East Bay area. It's just a transaction that's fresh in my mind, happens to be going on currently. Um, he's getting a $35,000 gift from his father. That's yep. awesome. It's great that he's able to get that. Um, that's going to cover the entire down payment. He's going to do one of these 3% down uh, conventional loan programs. It's covering all down payment, all closing costs, and he's even going to have a little money left over just to have in the bank or to maybe, you know, put into a couple of initial repairs to the home right out of the gate that they want to do to make it livable for them. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. I mean, if you can come up with those smaller down payments, you get into those loans. I mean, the biggest thing that I don't know, the biggest thing I would say that people need to know is do it intentionally. Like if, if you have a goal and you want to buy a house, come and talk to somebody, make a plan. Even if it's not something that's going to happen tomorrow, you know, if you go through these programs, you figure out what's best for you. You make a plan on, you know, what you're going to do in the future. If you're going to leave the financing in place, if you're going to change the financing. And a lot of times people don't understand, but one of the biggest things that we need to know, and I know it's a little bit of a crystal ball situation, but one of the biggest things that we need to know in order to advise people appropriately you know to do the best mathematical thing for them is the length of time they're going to be in the house the Mm -hmm. length of time they're going to be in the loan like what their intentions are you know if you're 28 years old and starting a family um your time horizon may be different than if you're 65 yeah and buying on the coast i mean that plays a key component to to how you price things to what type of loan program and product that you're in you know, by the time you're buying your third or fourth house, things are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, you're generally rolling equity from one property into another. 
But, you know, do things intentionally. Go into it, get a little bit educated, sit down with somebody that's willing to show you how these things work and and take some of the power back. I think that a lot of times, particularly with first-time home buyers, whether it be about down payment or loan product or any of those things, they feel uncomfortable because they don't know. Yeah. You know, put yourself into a position where you have a little bit of, of knowledge. You're never going to be an expert, but so that you can participate in that you're making decisions on purpose, doing yeah. things that are the best thing for you. I think that's great advice. One other thing I'd like to add is that with people wanting to do so much research online before they come talk to a professional, mm-hmm. um, be careful to to understand when the information you're reading online was posted. Oh, absolutely. Stuff in guidelines in mortgage changes very often. Just on August 1, the debt to income ratio guidelines for Fannie Mae changed. Yes. Um, you know, a couple months ago there was other changes. You know, at the first of the year there were there were a handful of changes that came down um, with some guidelines. So these guidelines are changing, they're ever evolving. Um, when you log on, some, you know, I do this too. Sometimes when I'm trying to solve a problem on a loan, I'll Google the question. It's kind of what you do now, right? To, to solve problems. But I'll, I'll, my first habit now is to look at the date. Cause that's usually one of the first things you can see as you're doing your little oh, Google yeah. search. Oh, this is from 2011. Oh, this is from 2012. Be careful. Those older articles, they, they stick around online and because of, well, for what I won't get into SEO, but anyways, you'll find outdated information online too often. And we'll get people who are so confident in what they've found online when they finally are ready to engage us. They think they know it all, but really what they're armed with is outdated information. Yeah. So be careful about that. I do want to yes. caution you. Yesterday, I had someone call me about a grant program. Mm-hmm. It was online. They they sent me a link um, uh, that ran out of money in about oh nine. You know, so yeah, you do got to be cautious. Things definitely change. And, but again, like you were talking about earlier, some of those things are changing for the better, you know, particularly if your perspective is I'm trying to buy a house, mm-hmm. you know, some of those things have definitely changed, but yeah, you got to watch it. You got to watch the time that it's printed and you got to watch the source of information. A lot of those websites too look as if they're giving you information about a product when in reality, it's a bit of a commercial yeah, for, they're trying know, to harvest some yeah. of your contact info so they can provide a hot lead to a salesperson. Yeah, that that <laughs> that, that 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 too I find is a little bit uh, underhand. I don't want to say underhanded. It's deceptive. Deceptive. Yes. That's a better word. There you go. So we've covered minimum down on the the four major loan programs and that that source of funds for all of these minimum down down payment programs here. Um, don't necessarily have to be from your own funds. They can be from gift funds. If you have someone in your life that's uh, that's willing to help you get your foot in the door into home ownership. Um, we're going to take our final commercial break of the show. When we come back, I just want to talk briefly about the credit qualification side for those entry-level buyers and, and what you need to know credit-wise about how to qualify and and whether or not you're ready to, to qualify for a home purchase. So um, stick around. We'll be right back for the final 15 minutes of Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Linux. The most critical part of buying a home is getting pre-approved for a mortgage. 
Pre-approved buyers are taken more seriously, enjoy a less stressful transaction, and close faster with no last-minute surprises. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. And just when you were expecting a bed, the computer would not cooperate. Oh, got yeah. the smooth voice of Thank you. Jim there Richards. Is. <laughs> he sounds like he should be introducing, like you know, like Barry Wise, uh, <laughs> Marvin Gaye. There it is. I you was sound like to the voice it. of the fair. Actually, yeah, Thank you. The voice of the fair. I was the voice of the fair. Yeah. You were, huh? <laughs> How'd you like the fair this year? I had a great time. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I had a good time too. I went to mm-hmm. a couple shows. It was it was good stuff. Which ones did you see? Uh, I saw Garth Brooks and I saw yeah. Zach Brown. I saw oh. Zach Brown and Garth cool. Brooks. Yeah, Zach was a great show. Oh, it was a really good show. Yeah, Paradise City. Can oh yeah, even, when he did Paradise City. Yeah, it was a bit surprising. It was good. It was very good. It was, it was very good. That band is yeah. tight. I mean, yeah. they're they're like a jam band. You know, you, you hear a uh, what a minute and a half, two minute song on the radio, and they play yeah. it for like five and I just like rock that. out. Yeah, they were That's great. Cool. And Garth was unbelievable, obviously, but. Yeah, it was uh, it was good times, good times at the fair. All right, we're going to wrap yeah. up our uh, our conversation here about uh, about those entry level buyers. Okay, gotta gotta finish this up. I'd love to talk about the fair. But we're going to save that for after the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've talked all about these ways to buy with with as little down as possible yes. get that entry-level buyer in without having to save 20 percent for 30 years because that's that's just not the winning formula in today's market um but let's talk about the credit side that's the other big piece that i think people are a little um anxious about you know a lot of times what i see with a first-time buyer is they've they've never had their credit pulled yeah so it's it's anxious there's almost like this it's unknown, unknown, big, uh, big surprise waiting for them behind the behind that door, and so we pull their credit, and and so often the credit's good. You know, here's what I want to tell you about credit. Generally speaking, you have to really try hard to have bad credit. 
you have to you have to not pay bills and know it and and then you're going to have a bad credit score um you know there's a different hierarchy to credit um your real estate debt is your your most important credit how you perform on real estate debt's going to have the biggest impact on your credit score next in line is your installment debt so those are um, loans that you take out and they don't revolve. It's not like you can charge them up and then pay them down and charge them up like a credit card. It's, it's like installment. Yeah, yeah, you take out a loan, you pay it off, and then it's done. Yeah. So those are your car loans, RV, boat, uh, student loans. Yes. Those are your most typical uh, installment debts. Um, then you have revolving. Revolving's third in line. That's, those are your credit cards, lines of credit, things like that. So most entry-level buyers... They may have an installment debt with student loan or auto loan. Obviously, they've, they've not likely had a, uh, a real estate loan before. Um, and they may or may not have credit cards. You know, some people don't. They're, they're just more spending what they have. They don't put things on credit, um, which I, I applaud. I think that's a, a good plan is to not spend beyond your means. I, I, I don't like seeing big credit card balances, but using a credit card to build credit, I think, is a good thing. And that's one of the things for entry-level buyers that we do have to talk about sometimes is lack of credit depth. And that, you know, for someone who has a few bills and they pay them every month, but you've never pulled your credit, you probably have good credit. Now, whether or not you have credit depth is another question, and that can actually play into whether or not you have a, a really good credit score. Um, you know, someone who's a bill payer but doesn't have, have a lot of depth, the, the credit scoring models don't always, they won't give you that upper echelon score. They'll give you kind of a middle of the road score. They'll give you a 680, a 700, maybe a 720. Yeah. But until you have depth to your credit, meaning older trade lines and more trade lines, you're not going to get up into the mid to higher 700 scores. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not penalizing you for lack of performance. It just doesn't have enough information. Right. You know, and a lot of times when you're meeting, particularly with first-time home buyers, that's the conversation that has to be had, you know. If you want to buy a house and you don't know, you need to run your credit. And then you need to know how to read your credit scores. I mean, the reality is each one will tell you what deductions they are taking. You know, each time you get a, the first thing you'll see is, is the score. Then you're going to see the bureau that the score is coming from. Then you're going to see the model and there's multiple models, whether you're buying a car or a house, you're going to pull, you know, the lending institution is going to pull a different model of the same bureau. So those scores actually may be different, but below that, you're going to see the adjustments that you're taking. And, you know, if, if you haven't bought a house and you don't know, you need to find out. You know, and sometimes it's a matter of, okay, I want to buy a house. Maybe it's a couple months out before you're able to do that because you need to do some credit work. But if you don't know, you can't start, you know, right. so you got to get in a position where you have an idea of where those things are and then you move forward. And the people that you're talking about, they're not getting hit. Their scores aren't getting hit for derogatory actions, right? They're not getting hit because they missed the payment. They're just getting they're not getting uh, full credit because the information's just not provided right. to the model to to get you know to get that score. Yeah, the model it, the the score is saying, hey, you're on the right path, but 
we don't know enough. We're going to move forward with cautious optimism here. <laughs> exactly. That's You're kinda... doing good so far, but you need to do more so that we can have a better idea of what kind of bill payer you are. That's a great way of framing it. Absolutely. So then there are some people who know, you know, I've, uh, I've missed some payments. I, I fear the worst. I fear my credit score is terrible. And if you've missed some payments, yeah, you might not have the best score. It depends on how recent those missed payments are. The more recent they are, the more of a detrimental effect they're going to have on the score itself. But it's not to say that you're going to be ineligible from buying a home altogether. Um, people who missed, a, I mean, missing a, a credit card state, uh, payment happens from time to time. Sometimes a statement doesn't get delivered. Sometimes you just forget. I, I had this happen the other day. I thought I... I go online, I pay my credit card on the first of the month every month, and that's kind of my habit. I missed it one month. I just forgot. I thought I did it. I didn't do it. And, you know, unfortunately, I missed it. It wasn't 30 days late, so it didn't affect, you know... Your score. Score, necessarily, but there was a late fee or whatever. It's just that kind of wasn't... <laughs> didn't. I wasn't happy about it, but it's, you know, th- those kinds of things happen. So I guess my point is that unless you are consistently... Missing payments, it's just, you know, an event, maybe you got into a car accident and there was a period of time where you just didn't have the money to pay bills because you're paying for doctor stuff. Um, That's something that's explainable. Um, Or maybe you just had one payment where you just missed it one time. That's something that's explainable. Hey, I moved and my mail didn't get forwarded in time and I missed the payment. Those are explainable events. Um, you can probably still qualify for a mortgage. We need to look at it. We need to evaluate it. We need to see, you know, maybe your conventional loan programs aren't going to be right for you. Maybe you're going to be more of an FHA borrower, but there's still a way to make this work for you. Um, Don't just disqualify yourself because you think your credit score isn't going to be good enough. Yeah. Let's talk about it together. Yeah. And I'll tell you, like, there's people that I'm working with currently that, you know, I put together a plan that was, you know, five or six years long. You know, we've been in... This will be the third loan, but we had a plan to get them to the most, you know, beneficial situation and we set forth on it. And now the journey's coming to completion. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of those things. The other people that I run into, I mean, not to to keep going on it, but the people I run into that think their credit's horrible because they had a hard time during the financial crisis. Some of those people were quite surprised, too, at how well their credit has rebounded from yeah. that. You know, it's almost as if the the bureaus understand that there was an incredibly difficult time. And some of those things, I don't want to say that the, the derogatory things are discounted, but they seem to be responding or rebounding if you're out there rebuilding credit. But we can at least set people on the right path. Yeah. If they're not there yet, we can put them on, you know, the correct direction. And you, yeah, definitely. When you have a major event like perhaps just the financial meltdown caused you to have some hard times financially. The credit bureaus definitely see that as an isolated event and you rebound quicker than if they see that there's a pattern. So credit's something that we would love to help uh, guide you through and talk about and get you on that path to homeownership. If it's something you're interested in, you have to 
be ready to make that step and and want to talk about it. And hopefully you're getting an idea of, of how we engage an entry-level buyer. This is exactly the type of conversation we have. We talk about short-term goals. We talk about long-term goals. We talk about your sources of down payment if a down payment's required. We talk about the potential for um, you know buying your entry-level home and then moving up and how you can use these loan programs to your advantage. We talk about your credit. We talk about how to get you on the right path. Um, we enjoy working with first-time home buyers, and we hope that if you're interested in being a, a first-time buyer, that you'd let us help you out. Give us a call at Central Coast Lending during the week. The number to all of our offices is 543-LOAN, 543-5626, or look us up online, centralcoastlending.com. Have a great weekend.